Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine and sponsored by Steer. Broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Hi, I'm Kim Bellotto, and welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show this week. Uh, as many of you are aware, we do once a month a live show, and that's to encourage our listeners and our follow from Shell Magazine to, to call in and be a part of the show, and most importantly, to learn about oil and gas and get any questions that you have answered. Today's show is going to be with Carr Ingham, who is a petroleum economist with the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. He is a, a walking encyclopedia, if you will, on all things petroleum, but also he is a expert in, a, in a, a, as a petroleum economist, so it's a very unusual combination. I encourage you, if you have a question uh, for today's show or want to be a part of today's show, call in. The phone number is 210-526-3656. Again, that number is 210-526-3656. And, and I, you know, when we say petroleum economist, sometimes we think, well, gee, I don't really have a financial question, or I'm not really sure what that means. But I want you to know that Carr is an expert in the area of energy. So things that might be troubling you is uh, what happened with uh, the Saudi attacks on them, and how is this going to affect us here in the United States? Is there a potential um, also, climate change, we've had a lot of discussion on that, the Green New Deal. Um, any question that you think you want to ask, go ahead and call on in, call in. Uh, but before we begin, I want to also talk to you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine. I'm actually really excited to read it myself because the cover is the former Interior Secretary, Ryan Zinke. You guys might remember that as the former uh, Interior Secretary under the Trump administration, he uh, endured a lot of heat. And uh, so he, we kind of pulled back that cover and, and got to really what were some of the issues, some of, the, of his legature, uh, some of his really truly big things that he actually got accomplished as well as being a part of the Trump administration. So I encourage you to go to shellmag.com. That's S H A L E M A G dot com, and I'll learn all about that story. Before we bring on Carr, though, I'd like to also ask you to join TEAK. It's Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. If you support energy, all forms of energy, then we want you to become a member. For more information, go to txenergyadvocates.com. Again, that's txenergyadvocates.com. There you can sign up for free, but you'll also be in the loop of mixers that they are doing and conducting throughout the state of Texas. And I just want to kind of cover two real quick before we bring on our guest. Um, in Midland on October the 30th, they will be having a huge, what they call mega mixer. Uh, it will be at the Doubletree uh, by Hilton at their Sky Lounge. That's a beautiful rooftop Sky Lounge that they'll be mingling and networking and, of course, plenty of cocktails. So I would ask you to uh, go to shellmag.com if you want more information on their mega mixer. I think you'll find uh, a banner ad that you can click on and sign up and get your tickets. This will be a sold-out event, so you definitely want to be there. And I know that some of the door prizes are going to be fabulous. One of them is an Odyssey putter. Uh, 
So if you're into golfing, you have an opportunity to go and sign up uh, and uh, register for this free um, for this free uh, putter. Also, they have another mixer that's going on in Corpus Christi, which is called their Mixbo. It's actually a pretty cool thing. It's a mixer and an expo put together. That is set for November the 6th at the beautiful uh, Omni Hotel in Corpus Christi, one of uh, Shell Magazine's greatest partners. So, therefore, what uh, I'd like to do is recommend you to go to shellmag.com. Again, that is shellmag.com for more information on either mixer, the one that's happening in Midland or in Corpus Christi. Uh, Once again, you can go to shellmag.com and get your tickets there. And now I would like to bring on Carr Ingham, who is a petroleum economist with the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Carr, welcome to the show. Kim, good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sorry, we had a long intro into the show, but we basically had like a lot of housekeeping to get out of the way. But, you know, one of the things that is my favorite for the whole entire month is the fact that we actually get to bring you guys on the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers and talk about real things energy-wise that really matter. So if you don't mind, before we get started, phone lines are lit up. Um, We've got a lot of questions. I know David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine, is scheduled to join us here shortly. Um, I'd like to just kind of tell you, uh, ask you, can you give us a brief description of what the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers is all about, its mission? Sure. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers is a trade association in the state of Texas. It is principally a trade association that represents and consists of our core membership is people and companies who are in the business of producing crude oil and natural gas and have Texas interests or an interest in how that industry looks in Texas. And so that's uh, that, that's that's who we are. Uh, we're sizable. We're 28, 2,900 members, somewhere around in there. And it's oil and gas producers, it's service companies, it's drilling companies, it is um, uh, affiliated industries, banks, and accounting firms, and law firms, and uh, uh, and uh, royalty owners, just people who have an interest or a connection to the oil and gas economy in the state of Texas. We primarily represent what's referred to as the upstream sector of the business, which is exploration and production. Uh, so for those that don't know, there's upstream, which is that. Uh, there's midstream, which is uh, transportation and uh, some midstream kind of mid-level processing. And then the downstream is refining, uh, turning those energy products into um, into end-use consumer products. And so we are an upstream oil and gas industry in the state of Texas. But in terms of the nature of the business in Texas of those three, upstream, midstream, and downstream, upstream is the biggest by far in terms of a share of the Texas economy, and it's the one that has the most impact on the Texas economy. So that's who we are. Uh, that's who we represent, and our interests are in making sure um, that uh, we uh, stand in the gap for our members, for the oil and gas business in Texas in general, in terms of the Texas legislature and our regulatory agencies. Uh, and the same thing at the federal level, by the way. And right. I would just say one more thing in response to your uh, opening comments about uh, economics and, um, oh, you know, the fact that somebody may or may not have a, a financial-related question. It's uh, all related. Economics <laughs> is is more interesting than that. Uh, who cares about that stuff? Economics is about 
um, uh, about the things that drive what happens to the Texas economy, about what happens to right. uh, uh, consumers and how they are affected oh, it matters. by what goes on. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, and beyond that, economics to me, and it should be to every economist, by the way, is much more than just numbers and data. It is a philosophical discussion about what you want your economy to look like and what, how you want it to be driven. Do you want to be a central command and control socialistic economy or do you want to continue to be a capitalistic market economy? These are the things that are the very heart and center of the things that we are increasingly talking about, Green New Deal chief among them. Exactly. Well, you know, I also want to um, just cover, <clears throat> excuse me, on 1030, we have a mixer for you guys going on out there in Midland, too, at the uh, Doubletree, a beautiful rooftop uh, bar. So encourage our listeners to be out there and, and uh, learn all about what the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers and how they can, how you guys can help them network and grow their business. Also, our phone lines are full. If you're calling in, just please continue to try. But the phone number is 210-526-3656. Again, that number is uh, 210-526-3656. So... Throughout the remainder of the show, we're going to really be cutting, getting into a lot of the weeds here, what's going on. There's a lot car going on. There's all kinds of different things going on in the world right now. I think there's a lot of questions. How does that affect us here in the United States, or does it? Um, and you guys also produced uh, a recent white paper that we're going to cover a little bit more in depth in the show as well. So I want to make sure that the that the lines and the listeners are understanding that we're going to cover a whole lot. We're going to unpack a lot that's going on right now and how it, it what it means to them. Uh, quickly, um, you know, we had um, a gl- the Global Week for Future going on all over the planet, and it was a, a very interesting um, thing to look at how this was created, and, and we're going to get into it. A little bit deeper in the show, but I just want to ask your opinion. What was that? How, where did that come from? And 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 um, and what was your interpretation of how effective was it? Well, I, I, I'm not even sure I know what that is. Um, um, it was uh, the global where all of these different um, parts of the United uh, parts of the world were also striking and picketing against energy, and um, it was it made national news. But it was pretty much all over the place. And it was, uh, a, a, you know, looking at the United States and seeing how we have so much discuss- discussion going on all the time, right? It's always uh, some are for it, some are against it. Here in Texas, thank goodness, I think that we really truly understand what feeds this entire economy here in Texas and what would blow it apart is if we became very regulatory, anti-oil and gas, regardless of how you want to cut it, the state is dependent on it. So what we saw going on all over uh, the world were, and and it made news because um, this little 16-year-old Gretchen was basically discussing these things. So, (laughs) you know, in my opinion, I, I really do want to try to get into how could this happen under uh, the radar? How long was this planned for? What is, uh, do you think the industry is planning on doing to get out information on, um, maybe we should be looking at doing something that explains a little bit more on a bigger picture, the same thing, but the opposite impact. When we get back from, wait, when we get back, uh, let me go to break real quick, but when we come back, I do want to get into that with you because to me, it's a troubling, very, very troubling situation that we have and we need to probably be taking that seriously. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show and we'll be right back. 
Hi folks, Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor In the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200-kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators, as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O. And we're back. You're listening to And the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today live is Carr Ingham, who is a petroleum economist with the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. And Carr, I apologize for not really explaining what was going on all over the planet. But uh, this past week, we saw 150 countries uh basically participating in something that is for young people, this climate striker to demand uh, the end to the age of fossil fuels. And uh, so this is what everybody was kind of witnessing, and I guess I wanted to get your opinion on it. And I also well, want to... Well, sorry, I did witness part of that. Uh, I was in Washington, D.C. this past week, and it really fouled up my traffic on Monday. Uh, <laughs> so that was its principal effect on me. And that is about all I, all the attention... Uh, as an economist that I, I would really care to give to that. I've, I've seen this nonsense. Um, uh, I, I have a 17-year-old daughter. She's bright. She's smart. She's engaged. She's all of these things. And while I might listen to her opinion on a few things, the transformation of the global economy is not one of them. And so I don't really care um, what that young lady had to say. I don't particularly uh, ascribe the fault of that to her mm-hmm. uh, from an economic standpoint there's a lot to talk about here uh, but just to make sure we have the record straight on some of this stuff um, and, and um, putting an end to the age of fossil fuels would uh, would <laughs> cause death and destruction around the globe um, she made the comment that people are dying well she's wrong about that people are, are actually are not. they're being mm-hmm. saved mm-hmm. Um, uh, by uh, continuing to develop our energy resources and deploying them worldwide and giving people access to energy and electric power and things that they don't presently have. So uh, so what does the industry do about this? Well, uh, again, that's uh, I'm, I'm part of that discussion. But from my standpoint, I always want this to be a discussion about economics. And what I said right. before, this is not just data-based. This is a question about the kind of economy do you that you want to have and here's how I would here's the start choice implementing a solution that um, that was on display uh, with that global event um, and that would be on display with the Green New Deal or as you know I call this thing the Green Raw Deal and there will never be a day where I don't call it that um, do you want uh, an economy that is Um, run and managed on market principles um, where economic power is diffused broadly across the citizenry and population of the United States, which is what a capitalistic market economy does, or do you want an an economy that is centrally managed, that concentrates political power 
um, through political mechanisms, not market mechanisms, and then concentrates power in the hands of a few political elites. This is the kind of discussion and decision and choice that we are facing right, right now. Right. To me, the answer to that question is clear. It is abundantly clear, and it is frustrating and baffling to me that this is gaining any traction whatsoever, but it is. And the oil and gas industry, and as a matter of fact, the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, we have to figure out uh, wh how we are going to address this and respond to this on behalf of our members. I couldn't agree with you more. I want to bring on uh, the editor of Shell Magazine, too, David Blackman. David, are you there? I am, yes. So, David, you and I had a conversation uh, this past week on another show that we uh, are airing, and we had the same discussion of how troubling it is. And, and you know, my thought is, I'm just Kim saying it, I don't think these uh, young people really understand what it means to disconnect from this. Like, put down your cell phone, you'll have to walk a whole lot more because there won't be buses or transportation or even your bikes or your little scooters. I mean, literally, you're uh, going back to the 50s and the 40s. Sure, but, but, but yeah, I mean, that's the reality, but, but that's not what they're being told. They're being lied to by our news media, by all of these activists, uh, this poor kid from, from Sweden, um, very, Greta, she's very, very upset about this. She's a cute kid, and she looks like she's about 10 years old, and she's developed all sorts of emotional uh, and eating disorders in her life, being being scared to death by these trite tactics from, from the alarmist community. And, uh, you know, quite honestly, we the things we teach our kids in our public schools is nonsense about energy and environment. And, um, you know, it's a shame what we're doing to our children, and, and the most distressing thing to me about the whole thing this week was was the use of children uh as activists uh, that's a whole and, new low know. that's a whole yeah, new low. and but they you know they're being told they don't have to give up anything that it all can be done without any displacement of anyone or anything and uh life's going to be grand and you know when you tell uh, an eight or ten year old kid that well then okay fine let's do it wait but and, these are uh, but these this is a generation that are hooked on Video games, on iPads, on cell phones, texting. I mean, can you imagine taking a, a, their cell phone away from them, a 15 or 16-year-old, that they can't text their friends anymore? Or these big, huge gamers that are, you know, starting at 12, 11 to shoot. Some of them are even 30 and 40 still, and they're big gamers. So uh, get away, back away from the games. Uh, I, don't I just know. for some of them that'd probably be a good thing. It, oh, it would be, but they won't do it because I mean I think that they, these this generation and and car you know I I'm going to go back to what you said, which is I think the energy industry as a whole needs to start figuring out that until we really start explaining what that means and how it impacts you, not just financially, not just you know jobs are going to go away, but it's also how it's going to impact your life and how it's actually been shown that it's it, that. You know, energy actually cleans the planet and it sustains life. Uh, it's important that, you know, we, we start having these discussions because I think it's easy for, for the commute, for, you know, just people as a whole to start talking about these things. And then, of course, you know, once reality sets in of how bad this really is, well, by then you've already imploded everything. 
We gentlemen are going to get to break. David, I'd ask that you would uh, stick around with us, and we need to start taking some of the callers that have been uh, on the line here waiting graciously. Um, So when we return from break, we'll start picking up the phone lines. Um, But, David, you said you'll stick around, right? Yes. Awesome. Okay, you're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210-240-7188. Again, 210-240-7188. Today we're being joined by Carr Ingham, who is a petroleum economist with the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. And we also have on the line David Blackman, who is the editor of Shell Magazine. Guys, welcome back to the show. I am going to ask uh, our producer to bring on line three, Vince. Vince, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Yes, hi. Good afternoon. Uh, Y'all got on the discussion of, I guess climate and global warming, I wanted to bring your attention that it wasn't just a, several decades ago, it used to be global cooling, uh, world overpopulation, world starvation, none of that happened. Now it's global warming. I don't think that we can really predict what's going to happen decades uh, in the future. I mean, the weathermen can't predict what's going to happen next week, much less uh, way far in the future. But my, my, um, my question was, my understanding is that we are now the leader, the exporter uh, of all of uh, gas and, and oil uh, in the world. And do we import any of that, those resources, into the U.S.? And if so, why can't we handle the demand that our own country has um, versus having to import uh, those, those resources from, say, like Saudi Arabia? It's a great question, and I think that there's sure. a lot of confusion with that. Carr, you want to try to take that? I'd be happy to take that, sure. I generally keep track of those numbers. Um, not so long ago, in the 2006-2007 time frame, we were importing somewhere around 65%, uh, 65 to 70% of our crude oil uh, uh, that we needed to, uh, you know, for all of these purposes, gasoline in particular, but other products as well. As we began to grow production in the 2008-2009 time frame, by about 2014, that number had gone down to pretty close to 20%, a staggering, stunning accomplishment in a relatively short period of time. I haven't looked at that number here lately, but it's, you know, it's not a whole lot worse than that because we are continuing to grow production uh, spectacularly in Texas and in the United States. So the amount of crude oil that we need to import has just gone down dramatically. 
what I like is that um, our, our our largest single country source of imported crude oil for a long period of time has actually been Canada, not Saudi Arabia. But when you add up all the OPEC countries, well, that number goes higher. Um, so, uh, you know, there's this term energy um, energy independence, and I, I'm fine with that. Uh, one thing I don't think most people understand is there are pretty uh, um, uh, sharp differences between the kinds of crude oil that are produced here and that we import. Our refining structure is not really all that uh, set up, well set up to process and refine the light grades of crude oil that we are producing massive amounts of in the United States. And it's actually much more better suited to uh, refining heavier crudes that we get from Canada. And in some cases, we get from Saudi Arabia and other uh, importing sources. The answer to your question is we're, we're much closer to that than we once were just because we've grown domestic production so spectacularly. And this is something to celebrate. I myself, as an economist, am not all that worried about taking that imported number down to zero because I want our refiners and companies, which, by the way, is not the government. These are private entities right. that are importing crude oil, and I simply want them to have the freedom to go out into the world market and trade as they see fit, unfettered by the government telling them what they may and may not do. And they go out there and they find the crude oil that meets their needs at the price that they um, at, a, at a price that suits them. And then we do the same when we export crude oil to somebody else, organically, without the without having to legislate one thing. Organically, we've taken our uh, imports down from 65 to 70 percent to somewhere down around 20 percent. It may even be lower than that right now. Like I said, I haven't looked at it lately. Well, Carr, that was a great answer to that question. And Vince, I want to thank you for calling in. When we get back from break, we have phone lines packed again. So uh, we'll be taking Joe. You're up next. And David, I hope you stick with us because I know you have a lot of questions for Carr as well. And we're certainly going to get to those too because they really are very important questions about the white paper that the Texas Alliance produced. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. Join us Saturday, October 19th at Sam Houston Park for the 9th Annual Energy Day, one of Houston's largest free family STEM festivals. Energy Day has music, food, games, and fun. You can also enjoy over 60 interactive exhibits showcasing science, technology, engineering, math, energy, and careers. Don't miss out on the fun. Admission is free and is sponsored by Chevron, Technip FMC, the Consumer Energy Education Foundation, and the Consumer Energy Alliance. For more information, visit energydayfestival.org. back. We're live with Carr Ingham, who is a petroleum economist with the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. And on the line is our editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. Uh, Carr, before the break, we were talking to Vince a little bit about um, how the United States has moved into importing and exporting. Um, and I want to encourage our listeners, if you have a question for Carr, to call in. The phone number is 210-526-3656. Again, that number is 210 210- Five two six three six five six, but I'd like to get to another caller. Um, Joe is on line uh, two. Joe, welcome to In the Old Patch Radio Show. First, where are you from? Uh, I think you're one of our regular callers. And what's your question for Carr? Hey, uh, Kim, I'm over here in the woodlands. 
And my question is sort of related to his most uh, recent comment just a few minutes ago about the export-import ratio in the industry. Uh, the question is about job prospects for friends of mine who will be oil and gas engineer grads and related fields for fall 2019. Uh, the area has been growing, you know, since tw the 2014 bust, but it seems as if some of the grads are finding difficulty in locating permanent jobs, many being hired on contract. Do you think now that the USA has recently vastly improved our export-import ratio in this industry, there'll be an improvement in all this, Christian? Well, that's actually a fabulous question, and there's a lot at work there. Um, the the, the industry is going a little bit sideways right now. When jobs are added, and even at that level, at the white-collar professional uh, degreed um, level in oil and gas, jobs are typically added during times of what you know we would consider solid growth in exploration production activity. Um, as represented by uh, growth in the rig count, drilling permits, and all of these things, which, by the way, all of this is captured in a piece of work that I do and have done for the Alliance for a long time called the Texas Petro Index. And so when the Texas Petro Index goes up and oil field employment is a component of this, typically jobs are being added then. And right now we're going actually not going sideways. We're in a kind of a mild contraction in 2019 caused by a few things, but there's something bigger at work here than that. In 2014, oil and gas employment in Texas peaked at right about 300,000 jobs, and these are direct upstream jobs in operating and producing companies, drilling companies, and service companies. Oh, those jobs fell off just sharply. I mean, we lost tens of thousands of jobs in the contraction from 2014 to 2016. And while we've had a nice recovery since then, we have not nearly added all of those jobs back. And I wonder now if we're going to, and it doesn't appear as though we are, we are producing record amounts of crude oil with fewer people. And so I think this has some implications to what you're suggesting. Uh, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, this is what economies do. Uh, they become more efficient over time. They try to do more with less. And productivity and technology advancements permit industries to do a greater work with fewer people. And this is how economies get transformed. But it, but it speaks to the question you're asking, are we going to need all of the people that are available that have worked in the oil and gas business, that may be seeking to work in the oil and gas business? And just the numbers themselves uh, suggest to us that we don't need as many people. That, I don't think that's the answer you're looking for. Um, um, but simply some growth uh, in activity um, as represented by more favorable pricing, a stronger global economy uh, to absorb our, our continued growth in production would, uh, would help in the short term. But there's no doubt about the fact that this transformational thing is happening right now, and we are simply producing more barrels of crude oil with fewer people, and I think that's going to be the case from now on. You know, uh, Cart, one thing, though, that uh, I question or wonder about is, you know, we've also seen this huge digital transformation in the energy s sector as well. And, you know, going back, you know, years back when we really didn't have that in place, I don't necessarily know if, uh, what are your thoughts on job displacement versus really just efficiency and, and using uh, digital space, if you will, to really bring this industry to 
you know, this mega powerhouse of being able to really capture this massive amount of data and not necessarily needing to do things the way we used to do them years and years and years back. Well, again, this is what industries endeavor to do, to do things in a better, uh, different, more efficient way. Uh, over time, the oil and gas industry has proven itself spectacular mm-hmm. at this um, with advancements in drilling technology and virtually everything. It's Every become area. a much more digital uh, industry. And and so, you know, as, as, as this occurs, this transformational thing occurs, it causes jobs to be lost in one area, one sector of the economy, and to be created in another one. This is what uh, economists and a guy named Joseph Schumpeter in particular referred to as creative destruction. Uh, and this is just an economy destroying some jobs over time in favor of the creation of new jobs. And we always fail when we try to hold the economy static and keep these things from happening. Listen, I revere people that work in the oil and gas business because of the work they do. Uh, the people that go out there and put capital at risk, that educate themselves, that have brought this transformation about. Um, I just think it's an extraordinary industry populated by extraordinary people. But they've been so good at what they have done <laughs> that they've really led to a situation where uh, job demand within uh, labor demand within the industry is vastly less than what it once was, even even a few short years ago, five years ago. Right. And then also, you know, there's just this whole other area as, as of course, it seems like it's gotten so much smaller because it's gotten so much more efficient globally, uh, the technology that's being used that is connecting uh, the energy sector closer than it ever has been before. And so maybe a lot of the jobs as well are not necessarily uh, being, you know, you look at the this, this big footprint of oil and gas, the sector, and a lot of these majors are not just uh, North America uh, players. They're actually global international players. And so, of course, um, you know, they're looking at it from a completely different standpoint of, you know, sure. they have to look at the whole entire global picture. So I'm wondering if some of the jobs and economic development in that sense is, is looking at it from a global uh, standpoint as well. I want to just touch on real quick also, uh, Carr, you know, when we were having this question earlier uh, from, I believe the, the gentleman's name was Vince, and he was yes. discussing, you know, how much, uh, you know, why are we still using imports uh, or needing imports? And, you know, will we ever really ever kick that into gear where maybe we won't need them? Um, when we return from break, I know that uh, we're going to be joined by David Blackman, and he has some questions pertaining to what happened with Saudi Arabia, because I think that that's a very sure. big uh, question every, on everyone's mind right now since we're seeing troops being deployed over there. When we get back from break... Uh, We'll be picking up with David Blackman. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Remember this name, Oilfield Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oilfield equipment needs. Oilfield Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oilfield parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oilfield Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210 210- Four seven one one nine two three, and visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. 
The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210-240-7188. Again, 210-240-7188. Join us Saturday, October 19th at Sam Houston Park for the 9th Annual Energy Day, one of Houston's largest free family STEM festivals. Energy Day has music, food, games, and a whole lot of fun. Enjoy over 60 interactive exhibits showcasing science, technology, engineering, math, energy, and careers. Don't miss out on the fun. Admission is free and is brought to you by BHP, Golden Pass LNG, the Consumer Energy Education Foundation, and Consumer Energy Alliance. For more information, visit energydayfestival.org. And we're back. I'm your host, Kim Bilotto, and today we are being joined by Carr Ingham, who is the Petroleum Economist for the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. And we're also being joined by David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. And David, I know you had um, a lot of questions for Carr, so I want to bring you in because your questions are so relevant to where we are right now. So come on in and ask uh, Carr a couple of questions for us. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, hey, Carr. How are you doing, man? Hey, David. <laughs> Listen, uh, so on the Saudi Arabia situation, of course, we've we had that big initial price yes. spike after the Iranian missile attacks on the Abcake Center and a couple of their, or several of their big producing fields. And uh, yes. that's all gone away now. In fact, the price yes. closed Friday lower than it was before the attacks occurred. And, and that's largely thanks to the information coming out of Saudi Arabia, at least, uh, saying that they have been able to restore not all of that lost production, but most of it due to some really smart forward planning and a lot of resiliency in, in their infrastructure. I'm, I'm wondering what, what your view of that is. Do you think that we are through this crisis and that we're not going to find out, you know, here in the coming weeks that, A, they really haven't restored as much production as they're claiming they have, and, and B, the repairs to the Abcake Processing Center are going to take longer than they are saying they're going to take? I, I was just wondering what your view on all of that is. Well, the, the, the market has done a pretty good job of absorbing all this information, I think. But 
what we know uh, from what happened in the first two or three days there, I think it was about Wednesday of uh, the week following these attacks on Saturday that the Saudis first began to put out some information that the repairs and bringing, uh, bringing that back up to capacity was going faster than most had anticipated. Before then, though, we, we know what happened. It was a big one-day jump, one trading day jump from Friday yeah. to Monday because this happened on Saturday. Uh, and, in fact, they, you know, they've said, and I suppose they're right, that it's the largest single-day increase in oil prices. Well, you know, I guess that makes sense. It was the largest single one-day supply shock. But think about this. <laughs> when prices spiked on Monday, they did not get as high. In fact, they didn't get anywhere as close to as high as where crude oil was as recently as last October. And by Tuesday or Wednesday of that week, prices had already begun to come down, um, and prices were about where they were in May or so of this year. And so don't give me this nonsense and this kind of dramatic um, uh, stuff about uh, how rapid and how far prices spiked on Monday. They didn't really go all that high, relatively speaking, and, and immediately began to come down again. Well, this had nothing to do with what the Saudis were doing in terms of putting things back together. I read an article in the Wall Street Journal on Monday following that Saturday, and here was the headline of that article. Sorry, energy consumers, shale will not save you, meaning shale is not going <laughs> to come to the rescue here uh, in terms of filling the gap uh, in terms of what was lost in, uh, in Saudi production. And I thought, oh, my goodness, well, that's what nonsense. So I started writing an article that I need to finish, and the title of this article is Celebrate Energy Consumer. Shale has already saved you. Shale yeah. doesn't need to come to the rescue right now because it already has. We lost maybe 5.7 million barrels a day of Saudi production. Since about 2009, we've grown U.S. domestic production by about 7 million barrels a day, 4 million of that coming from the great state of Texas. And so when you couple that with plenty of Saudi uh, stored crude oil on hand to continue to export, continued growth in U.S. production, um, kind of a sluggish global economy that is not needing as much crude oil as it might otherwise need. But again, the salient fact to me is the growth in U.S. domestic supply over the last number of years and the fact that we've upended, simply upended the global supply picture. This is what kept prices in check. And, yes, it's helping helping consumers, of course, uh, that the Saudis have indicated they're putting things back together faster. If this turns out not to be the case, we might see a, you know, a bit of an uptick in crude oil prices, but I'm not looking for much of anything beyond what we've already seen. Um, and even if that happened, that, you know, it would be harmful to consumers in the near term, but really it would just be the market stimulating ad enough additional production to take care of them. And so that's right. how I look at that as an economist. Well, and Carr, I, I, every time I, I hear a discussion like this, I, I know we're running out of time, but I think it's really important for listeners to understand that, that we don't increase that production here in the United States as dramatically as we have without hydraulic fracturing or fracking. Uh, and oh, it's just another no, misinformation no. campaign run by our news media, uh, demonizing fracking, a well-regulated process that it is. And that's enabled all of that. So when you hear these, these Democratic presidential contenders saying that, uh, you know, they're going to outlaw fracking, uh, they're going to outlaw your energy security when they do. Sure. And I'm done. Well, Sorry. that's exactly what they're going to do. <laughs> 
I, I can scarcely listen to that bunch. I mean, it's one says something uh, totally off the wall, then one next to them tries to outleft them, and then by the time they're at the end, it's just uh, you can scarcely listen to um, uh, such nonsense, and I, I can't hardly bring myself to do it anyway. Uh, there's nothing about that discussion that makes any sense to me. Um, Couldn't and, agree and frankly, with you more. I'm, Couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> let, let You know what? We've got a little bit of time left. Let me just break in here real quick and ask you, tell us about the white paper that Texas Alliance just recently released. Well, uh, I guess you could view it as a technical paper, but in, but it speaks to an issue that is just of vast importance to us, and these are water issues having to do with the oil field in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was some concern in the early days of hydraulic fracturing uh, that crude oil producers and drillers and uh, service companies, but in the process of bringing crude oil to the surface and natural gas through that process, that too much fresh water was used for fracturing hydraulic fracturing operations. Um, well, oh, there was a fair amount of it used, but relative to other uh, uses in the state of Texas, agriculture in particular, but other things as well, it was a mere pittance of total water usage. Uh, now the industry is using produced water uh, for that purpose. And um, For more information on that white paper, please go to Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Again, that's Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.